out of your experience and your faith and in the context of the relationship that you have with them, point them towards finding their identity in Christ. And I think grandparents are uniquely positioned to do that. I tell people all the time that all the stuff we talk about with culture that seems so overwhelming and so powerful, that can just scare you to death if you didn't grow up in this world, and it does a number on me. I have to keep reminding myself that relationship trumps all that stuff. Your relationships speak louder than all those other things. That was Walt Mueller talking with grandparents at the Legacy Grandparenting Summit a few years ago. We're going to hear some more from Walt in just a moment. But first, welcome to Legacy Grandparenting, the podcast of the Legacy Coalition. I'm Wayne Rice, Conference Director for the Legacy Coalition, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Colombe. Director of Development for the Legacy Coalition. How are you doing there, John? I'm doing well, but I'm and I'm very eager to talk about this subject that uh, we've got on the docket here. My how relevant it is for all of us. Yeah, Walt Mueller is our guest speaker on today's podcast, John, and he's he's speaking on helping grandkids manage their digital devices. And I I've got to admit, I have trouble. Uh, sometimes managing my own digital devices. <laughs> I sometimes have too many of them. What, what about you? Oh, no problem whatsoever. <laughs> no, I mean, there are times I have to just say, down boy, I own, I own you, you don't own me. But sometimes that doesn't even help because when you hear buzzes and, and rings, I mean, we are so easily distracted these days by all of these things. But yeah, well, I... It's just, yeah, it's just amazing though how, how how dependent we've become on on you know our phones and and our our computers our our uh, little pads tablets and everything that we carry around and it seems like it's hard to keep them straight but uh, they are they're just so distracting and it's amazing how much time that we that we give to those and things. and look though how great they are I mean um, we can bank on our phones we can. Uh, do our calendar we can exercise or find out how we're doing we can talk to the doctor or show our airline ticket i mean there are a lot of benefits with these things as well and that's part of the problem to weigh those two things and keep them in order and under control yeah yeah and you know walt talks about that in in his message which we'll get to here in just a moment but um in fact during his talk you'll often hear him say refer to this and what he's actually doing is holding up uh, an iPhone right. and showing it to the crowd. So he says this, you know, will uh, have a, a big impact on, on our kids. But uh, he warns us, you know, don't think of this as being something bad. It's not. It's, it's right. really something good. It's a tool. But it does have an impact on us and on our grandkids who, uh, of course, sometimes are hard. You know, we want to distract them enough from their uh, to their devices so that they'll pay some attention to us. That's right. You know, they, sometimes when we have them over at the house, they they just find a little corner of the room somewhere and they're sitting there with their their phones and it's hard to get their attention. But not not sometimes. <laughs> yeah, Most. all the time. Most of the time. But uh, but anyway, let's see what Walt has to say about this. Walt Mueller has for many years been doing the dirty work of keeping a close eye on youth culture and interpreting it 
for parents and youth workers. And now that he's a grandparent, he's helping grandparents too. Uh, in this talk, which is, which is just a portion of a seminar that he did for our summit conference four years ago, he deals specifically with technology, uh, which, of course, can change very rapidly. But I think Walt's insights and principles hold just as true today as they did uh, four years ago, which, of course, in digital media time, four years can is, is almost like four centuries. Oh, yeah. But, but, but everything is, it changes so quickly. Um, Walt Mueller is the founder and CEO of CPYU, which is the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. They're headquartered in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. And uh, most people that I know who work with kids in the church um, look up greatly to Walt Mueller and this organization for providing them with the kind of information that they need to be able to uh, relate to today's kids. So let's jump in and listen to Walt speaking to grandparents at the 2017 Legacy Grandparenting Summit. Uh, We are living on, on what I would say is a digital frontier. I know that when you look at what's happening with technology or when your grandkids show up at your house and when you're with them and they pull out their devices, it is mind spinning. It is mind boggling. But the reality is we are, if you think of uh, the frontier and the wild west, you know, the settlement, the movement east to west, uh, we're still in terms of digital technology, probably in New Jersey, if you're moving from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. We haven't even gotten out of New Jersey yet. You know, we're still starting to move in that direction. And uh, what I want people to understand about this digital frontier, and this is a responsibility of parents and it's a responsibility of youth workers and certainly grandparents as well, is that there are a lot of unknowns in this. Just like the settlers moved from east to west when the United States was settled, and there was, there was disease, there were enemies that they encountered, uh, there were all sorts of hardships, and there were good things as well. Uh, there is a, a mix, there is a real mix of what we're going to encounter as we're on this digital frontier. And so you need to be, I, really, I want to encourage you to be poised to be thinking, to be the responsible adult in this, and to be thinking about how these things are unfolding and how it works. The difficulty for us is that we in this room are all digital immigrants. We were not born with these tools. Uh, these, we're, like the, we're like the immigrants who showed up at Ellis Island, right? Just a few of our belongings, and the big thing you notice about them is there's a deer in headlights look. You're like, what happens now? And certainly with technology, that's the way it is. Your kids, your grandkids, well, your grandkids are digital natives. Um, Gene Twenge, who's at San Diego State University, has just released a book called iGen, uh, and she's named this generation the iGen. She has numerous reasons for doing that. She would identify them. These are our grandkids, right? Uh, Those born 1995 to 2012, and they are living with this technology, and it makes sense that we guide and nurture them in this. You know, if Jesus truly is the Lord of all of life, and if the Lordship of Jesus Christ is to stretch into every square inch and every nook and cranny of life, it has something to say, our faith has something to say, a lot to say, in fact, about technology and how we live with technology. 
And the burden is on us, just as we as parents and grandparents are called to nurture our children and our grandchildren, we are called to nurture them on this digital frontier. We need to become like these people you read about in this very obscure passage in uh, 1 Chronicles 12, 32. This context here is where uh, all these tribes and groups of people are surrounding David to liberate the kingdom from Saul. And as they're, they're coming to surround him, they're listed there. You may, you may be a person who, like me, would breeze through this passage because there's not much you would think that you could apply to your life. The reality is that right in the middle of that passage, we hear about the men of Issachar. And God, in his sovereignty and in his providence, with purpose, uh, includes this, that there's a descriptor that they are people who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And we, in fact, need to become like men and women, grandmothers and grandfathers of Issachar who understand the times and know what Israel should do. So let's jump into that and learn just a little bit about this, about technology. And the one thing I want to say right from the outset is these are not bad things. I think we have to realize that technology is a good gift from God. If you understand the making of culture, if you understand Genesis 1 and 2, when God creates us in his image as human beings, he says to us, be fruitful and multiply, cultivate the earth. And part of that cultivation is to take the raw materials that God has given us and make something good out of that, to image God by being creative ourselves. So even people who do not have a heart bent towards God or who are followers of God. They're not followers of God. Even people who exercise their creative gifts, they're imaging God in some way when they make these things. So the important thing is to remember, these are, these are not bad things, but we can either use them in a way that brings honor and glory to God, and we certainly want to do that ourselves. We want to challenge our grandkids to do that, or we can use these tools in ways that uh, bring honor and glory in the other direction to what the scriptures call the kingdom of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so there's a lot of thinking that needs to go into this, and it's just thinking through this biblically. I want to encourage you to keep doing that and having conversations. You know, Deuteronomy 6, I'm sure somebody has talked about that already here, that we are, as part of a village, not just moms and dads, but grandparents as well, uh, being salt and light and leading our grandkids and to have conversations. Remember, this is a process and they're going to push back a little bit. You may, not, you, know, you may try to guide and direct them into how to use this to the honor and glory of God, and they may falter a little bit on that. They're not, probably not going to go, gee, Grandma, gee, Grandpa, or Pop and Gigi, that's what we're called. Uh, that was brilliant. You just changed my life. I'll never use this in the wrong way again. It's a process. So I want to encourage you to stay on top of this and keep with it. Just to get some perspective, the latest research right now, in case you're not convinced that kids are using these things a lot, the latest research right now is telling us that, and this was two years ago, by the way, two years ago next month, your grandchildren, who are tweens, and that would be ages 8 to 12, were engaged with media for six hours a day. That does not include time spent using media for school or for homework. Your grandchildren, who are teenagers, ages 13 to 18, were engaged with uh, media for nine hours a day. So a lot of screen time in there. Some people have asked, I always get a gasp when I share this. This comes from Common Sense Media, by the way. And uh, parents typically will gasp. They can't imagine it's that much time. What you have to realize is people started to ask, well, what about us as adults? You know, 
Last year, they released, Common Sense Media did, research on this, and it found that we as adults are using it actually more than both of these groups. Nine hours and 15 minutes a day. Now, just to get some perspective here, all right, if I'm a teenager and I'm engaged with this for nine hours a day, there is nobody in my life, not a teacher, not a parent, not an aunt, not an uncle, there is no human being in my life that's guiding, grandparent, that's guiding and directing me who's spending that much time engaged with me in meaningful conversation. And so when you think about Deuteronomy 6 and just the constant, the call to constantly be engaged in spiritual nurture, right, that's what that is. Uh, we, in some, some of our traditions, if you're not familiar with the word catechesis or, or catechism, that's how training of children was done in the faith. And uh, that's making a return right now. You should investigate that a little more. There's some really, really good materials coming out. I, I say that we've been called to catechize our kids, right? Educate and nurture them in the faith. Culture, particularly through this 15 square inches of glass, is now catechizing our kids 24-7. And I would say 24-7 because well over 90% of children and teens with smartphones are sleeping with these things. And that is extremely dangerous for numerous reasons. One would be, I'll just mention it to you, this is a pushback you can give. Share this with, your, uh, with the parents of your grandchildren that uh, a teenager, just a teenager, not a child, but a teenager now needs nine hours and 15 minutes of sleep, uninterrupted sleep for healthy growth and development. That's the way God made us. If you're sleeping with this and constantly waking up and engaging with this, you're not getting the nine hours and 15 minutes of uninterrupted sleep. By the way, you know why kids say they're sleeping with these things? They don't want to miss anything. They don't want to be there for people. They need to keep maintaining their online image. We'll come back and talk about that because that's a scary thing. Um, here's what happens. If any of you have ever struggled with depression in your life and you go to a counselor, the first thing a good counselor will ask you is this, how are you sleeping? because the first issue a counselor wants to deal with if you're dealing with depression is sleep. We've got to deal with the sleep thing first because you're not going to make headway in, in terms of uh, getting over this unless you're getting sleep. And so uh, what, what we're learning is kids aren't getting sleep. Depression is off the charts. And I don't know if you realize this or not. I'll talk about this more in the next session. But anxiety right now, have you heard all the talk about anxiety? Anxiety right now on college campuses is the number one health concern that's being dealt with on the, on the college campus with uh, the healthcare centers. It's not a virus, it's not broken bones, it's not splinters. It isn't even depression anymore, it's now anxiety. And so all these things are building and building and leaving our kids uh, overwhelmed. So I would say to you, this is, culture is catechizing our kids 24 seven, primarily through this and it's leading to all sorts of fallout. Again, this is not a bad thing. These are great, wonderful tools that we've been given by God. We just need to learn to use them in the right way. So I always say there are two questions that we need to constantly be asking. Let me, let me give you the first and a, and a response to this. The question we always need to be asking, and again, you can push on this with your children too, your grandchildren's parents, uh, because by and large, we're finding that many of them are not thinking Christianly or deliberately or strategically about these things and stuff just happens to us. So the first question is always what is social media and technology doing to us and to our kids and to our grandkids 
And if you look at what's happening in terms of immersion, uh, some of what you see, you tell me if you see this or not, um, these are, this is just, I'm summarizing some of the research that's being done. If you are immersed with your screen, you actually become oblivious to the real world around you because you're constantly engaged in this. Now, some of the ways that we see the obliviousness is just in physical problems that occur. So where I'm from in Pennsylvania, actually in front of uh, a school that I went to, a high school in Abington, Pennsylvania, just this summer in August, you may have read about this in a paper, a girl was updating her Instagram account, walked into traffic, was hit by an SUV. You're gonna hear those stories more and more. So we become oblivious to the world around us. And I think too, it's not just the physical dangers that exist, but the disconnect that we now have mentally with the world. We become oblivious to each other. And we know this because research is being done right now that even though we may be physically present with each other, and certainly you're seeing this in the home probably more than anywhere else because we spend so much time there, we are, as Sherry Turkle from MIT says, we are alone together. We're together yet alone. And this is, this is very frustrating because your generation of grandchildren, they have more tools at their disposal to be connected with people and to develop community and communicate with each other than any prior generation. And yet they are more alone and more lonely and more anxious uh, and less supported than any other prior generation. It's the great irony of this, which is really frustrating. We become oblivious to ourselves as well. Uh, we are so tuned into everything else in the world that we don't focus on ourselves. And ultimately, I think as well, uh, this is undermining our spiritual growth and development. And all of the distractions that occur, I think, make us oblivious to God. So that begs the second question. And that's really, I want to address this as well, because if we have an issue, we need to address it. And the second question is this, what am I doing with social media and technology for myself and for my grandkids? And so we're going to, to think about that just a little bit here. Now, just as some background, when I'm talking to parents and talking to youth workers, and I talk about spiritual nurture and technology, I give them an overarching goal. And that is that this should be for every area of life, that in anything, any, any pursuit uh, that we engage with in this world, we need to endeavor to think Christianly and in our actions and in our pursuit of that endeavor, work to bring honor and glory to God. So, you know, academics, um, what does it mean to pursue academics to the glory of God as opposed to the glory of self or play? What does it mean to participate in sports and play to the glory of God uh, rather than to glory, the glory of self? Certainly with play, we would say it's a lot more than just praying before the game and praying after the game. It's how you play. Marshall McLuhan, if any of you studied communications theory, you may remember back in the 1960s, he coined this term, the medium is the message. He was a media theorist. A lot of people thought he was pretty nutty, but actually what he said has really worked to pan out pretty well. Uh, when he wrote the book, they published it with the wrong word. Uh, they misspelled message on the title. And he said, just leave it that way because it really does communicate something else about how technology influences us. It kind of massages us and massages us to sleep. But what he was saying there when he said the medium is the message is that it's not so much the content that we encounter that shapes us, but it's the tool itself. 
Um, he said this. This is a great quote. He said, we become what we behold. We shape our tools, and afterwards our tools shape us. So this will shape you. This will shape your grandchildren's parents, your children. This will shape your grandchildren. And the further we move on to that digital frontier, and the more technology and tools that we have available to us at uh, the reach at the, of the end of our arm, the more it will shape us. Here's an example of how this works. Just think about this, all right? 1876, none of us were alive then. So Alexander Graham Bell invents the phone. What an amazing tool. Now we can talk along, uh, across great distances. But think about what McLuhan said. First we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. So before the invention of the phone, all conversation had to take place in close proximity. You're either yelling across a field or you were face to face. So think about what this has done to the way we converse, all right? So when we, before the phone, we could talk, hear each other, we could see each other, we could see body language, we'd make eye contact, we could actually touch each other. There was so much more to communication that made it rich. When the phone comes along, what happens? First we shape our tools and our tools shape us. Now I can hear you, but I can't see you. I don't know about your body language. I don't know about your eye contact. So something is diminished now from our communication. And I'm not really sure. Is she listening to me? Is he hearing me? How is he responding to this? Is, is his body language saying something other than what his words are saying? Well, you keep going. We develop technology. Now you have email. You remove the voice. And every one of us in this room, we've sent, received emails where we go, ah, shouldn't have been said by email because we don't know. Now we can't even hear people. We can't see, we can't, so all we see are the words. And now the preferred method of communication for your grandchildren is what? Texting, texting. So now you're removing full words even. And again, if we think about this, first we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. Sherry Turkle, when she was researching and writing her book Alone Together, and this was about six, seven years ago, interviewed a 13-year-old girl and she said, my preferred way of communicating is to text. I don't like to talk. By the way, um, your children who are raising grandchildren who are teenagers, they would, they would tell you this, that they will, they will call your grandchildren on the phone, and what happens? Nobody answers. What do they do next? They text them and say, pick up your dog on phone. And one frustrated mother, by the way, invented an app that when her daughter didn't answer the phone, it locked her phone until she called her back, which is brilliant when you think about it. I can't remember what the name of that is. And I don't know about you, but maybe some of your children who are raising your grandchildren do this to you. Uh, you never stop parenting, do you? I mean, it just keeps going. I have four adult children and it just keeps going. Turkle says to the girl, why do you prefer texting over talking? And the girl thought for a minute and here was her answer. She said, because I don't know how to end a phone conversation. A simple social skill to end a phone conversation, she can't do. First we shape our tools, then our tools shape us. Or maybe a better way to say it is that our tools misshape us. I mentioned anxiety. Do you know that last year during election week, Time Magazine put this on its cover rather than anything related to the election? Teens and anxiety, anxiety, depression, and the modern adolescent. Here's, kids will post something or they'll text somebody, and you, you think it's just us as parents, and they don't get a response. The silence kills them. 
It makes them anxious. This is one of the reasons why anxiety is off the charts. Uh, because they're wondering, what are people thinking of me? Why am uh, are somebody mad at me? Why am I not getting a response? Again, and, and we've got this epidemic of anxiety. We start to trace it back to its causes and its roots. And much of it is rooted in this. First, we shape our tools, and then our tools shape us. So do you see how this works? Does this make sense? I, uh, you're pr I know grandparents get very frustrated. We get very frustrated with our grandkids and how they, how they do this. So the question then is how have you seen technology uh, shape or misshape the kids, the grandkids you know and love? But you think about the generation of children you raised and now the generation of children your children are raising, and you'll see a change. Kids have become more physically lazy. They sit around. We don't see as many children playing outside now. Do you know, parents today are fearful to do um, what you and I did with our kids and what our parents did with us, and that is, you know, we'd get home from school, and I remember my mom would say, put your school, or get your school clothes off, get your play clothes on, and go out and play, and don't come home to hear the bell ring. You know, it's, now we call that free-range parenting. And that's irresponsible parenting, right? Because we're sending our kids out into a dangerous world. That's what people think anyway. And so we sit around, we play video games, we talk, that sort of thing. We're not outside. We're intellectually uncritical. Why is that? Well, young people today, you know how they're doing research? They Google everything. And whatever the first page of Google results is, which is 10, and research shows this, that's what they're going to rely on. That's all mediated based on algorithms, by the way. And they're not going to go past that, and they're not going to check that. This is a cut-and-paste world. Psychologically confused. How do I know what's right? How do I know what's wrong? And I, again, I wish I could spend a week unpacking this with you, because this is a big trend as well. And then lastly, morally disordered. Again, how do I know what's right? How do I know what's wrong? When I was growing up, I say it this way. Uh, growing up outside of Philadelphia, there were basically three or four faith systems that I was aware of. There was the Protestantism of my youth, there was the Protestant Christianity, there were my friends who were Roman Catholic, and there were my friends who were Jewish. A large segment of my friends were Jewish. And I, th I guess the fourth thing I would have heard about would have been atheism. But in today's world, it is a virtual smorgasbord, a virtual buffet table of faith systems and options. And in a world where there is no right or wrong and everyone gets to decide for themselves, uh, that's why we are morally disordered. So these things, everything that we're exposed to shapes that as well. So think about that. It's not just experience, but it's theory and also theology. And this is, I will go back to what I said earlier in 1 Corinthians 10. You know, Paul says, if you eat or you drink, if you do anything, using technology, using the smartphone, do it for the glory of God. So we want to encourage you to move uh, towards that. Now, a question I have as you start to think about what does it mean um, to get involved in the nurture of the hearts of our grandchildren to prepare and sustain them for life as it unfolds on this digital frontier. I just want to give you some things about why kids love social media. This will get very practical here. Um, there's numerous reasons for this, all right? You know, everybody else is doing it. I want to stay connected. I want to be cool. That thing hasn't changed. But I want you to get this perspective. I assume that Many of us grew up in the 60s and the 70s. I don't know if that's a fair assumption or not. Some of you, I'm insulting you because you're younger than I am. Maybe some of you are a little bit older. But uh, uh, just ponder this. Um, so your social life when you're a teenager, that's very important. And you just want to be accepted, right? 
Um, I think back to my middle school years, my high school years, and it was basically six hours a day for nine months of the year in the school. And the hallway and the lunchroom were two of the toughest places because you really wanted to fit in there. Our six-hour school day now, because of social media, uh, is, is a thing of the past. It is now the social pressure to fit in for your grandchildren. You have to understand this. And the peer pressure that exists that, that we felt but in different ways, today it's, it is a 24-7 reality. It does not stop. So if you want to develop uh, some sympathy, some empathy for your grandkids and what it's like to live in this technological world socially as a teenager, when all those changes are going on in your life or as a child, realize it doesn't stop. And even in school, many of us have grandchildren who are in schools where phones are allowed. And just talk to teachers about what's happening with that. So social media. Social media, when I talk about that, we're talking about things like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, used to be places like Zanga in the old days or MySpace. There are all kinds of social media apps. These are places where kids are interacting with each other. Now, here's what I want to give you. And this is where uh, I hope you'll listen carefully because when we've looked at young people and their habits and their patterns related to social media, what we discover is the way that they use it can give us clues to some of their unfulfilled needs and desires, which are very real, which you as a grandparent have tremendous power because of your relationship to them to answer. You have tremendous power to answer these needs. Now you can see, so I'm gonna give you about six or seven here of these and, and tell you how it works. But, but as a prerequisite to this, it's important for you, first and foremost, to be in a growing relationship. Keep the lines of communication open with your grandkids. And then if you are on social media, work to track with them. Now, one of the difficulties is that, you know, if kids get on Facebook and parents suddenly show up on Facebook and grandparents suddenly show up on Facebook, they will start to disappear from Facebook and they will go other places where they're just with their peers. So you have to be aware of that. But track with what you can track with. So here are some reasons why uh, young people, your grandchildren, are or will be engaged with social media and some of, um, the some of what they're looking for as they're there and how you can answer that. See if you can track with me on this. This is really important. I share this with youth workers and parents all the time. So social media. I am a teenager. I'm moving from the dependence of childhood to the independence of adulthood. And one of the main developmental tasks is to figure out who I am. Finding the answer to the question, who am I? Now, I don't know about you, but I remember, I don't ever remember verbally stating that question or understanding it as such, but I remember in middle school trying on different selves. What, what was going to get me to be liked the most, to be accepted the most, in the way that I walked, the way that I talked, the things that I did, the way that I dressed, the way that I did my hair? And we're constantly, you know, trying on new selves to see what's going to work the best. And so our kids, think of a fitting room. Um, I, was, I don't know if this has happened to you, but two years ago, 
uh, that we had to have an intervention in my family, and it was my kids and my wife intervening with me, telling me that uh, my blue jeans were horribly out of style. Um, have you had that happen? You know, Dad, we got to change this whole thing. All right, acid washed is not what you're supposed to be wearing. So it was time. I mean, my jeans were working out okay for me, but not for the rest of the world. So they convinced me to go. So we go to, my wife takes me, we go together. I mean, this, I'm, 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 I'm confessing my inability to deal with this. She takes me to JCPenney, and uh, it's overwhelming, by the way, because you go into the jeans section, it's huge. And not only is it big, but just the Levi section, they have numbers from one to 999, I think, for all the different styles they have. And so she walks me in there, and I, I didn't know where to start. And she grabbed a stack of about 12 to 15 pairs, and she says, all right, go into the fitting room. Fortunately, nobody else was there. She sat in that big, cushy chair. And I, you know, put them on, come out, spin around, and she would, it was like one thing, you know, like, eh, 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 and finally, aha. Well, you remember that, right? When you were a kid, you'd go to get your school clothes, you'd get the fitting room, and you'd come in and out. That's what adolescence is like, where you're trying to find your identity. And so you'll put something on, so to speak, and then walk out, parade out in front of your peer group and see whether it's acceptable or not. And this is what social media has become. It's now the school hallway, and it's not just those six hours. It's now 24-7. And so they're trying to figure out, you know, like, who am I? And am I going to be liked? Now, here's the issue. I wanna, I'm going to be really push this on you here because it's pretty easy. Maybe not easy to do, but easy to understand. In this world, in this day and age of what we would call fluid identity, where kids are constantly trying on new selves and new things, we hear this a lot with sexuality. You know, I don't ever remember young people when I was growing up or when I was working with teenagers in a local church saying, I identify as, and then fill in the blank. Now we hear that all the time. Ultimately, they were made for a relationship with God that was broken because of sin. And the brokenness in their lives is a brokenness that can only be fixed by Christ. And the way to live life in this broken world is to live with finding your identity in Christ. And what you want to do is out of your own relationship with your Heavenly Father and your years of wisdom and experience and trial and error and victories and defeats and mistakes and things you've done right, speak out of that and point them into finding your identity in Christ. Now remember that the culture is firing things at them all the time. The basic message today is your identity lies in what you look like and what other people think of you. That is an overwhelming message of identity. That is not what the scriptures say. We know directly in the scriptures that it says that, that humanity, man looks on the outside. What does God look on? The heart. And so we want them, I mean, we want to see them rescued from that idol of self and that idol of identity that comes in being accepted, you know, fear of man, fear of humanity. We want them to find their identity in Christ. So out of your experience and your faith and in the context of the relationship that you have with them, point them towards finding their identity in Christ. And I think grandparents are uniquely positioned to do that. I tell people all the time that all the stuff we talk about with culture that seems so overwhelming and so powerful that can just scare you to death if you didn't grow up in this world, and it does a number on me, I have to keep reminding myself that relationship trumps all that stuff. Your relationships speak louder than all those other things. They can be overwhelming. 
but speak loudly. All right, does this make sense? So really focus on identity. We're going to stop with that thought from Walt Mueller that we as grandparents are in a prime position to help our grandkids find their identity in Christ rather than in what they find on social media and their screens. John, um, uh, how do you help your grandkids identify themselves first as a, as a child of God, as a Christ follower, and not, you know, what they're seeing, um, comparing themselves to everybody else on their, on their screens, on social media, that sort of thing? Well, I mean, it's, it's so easy for kids to be influenced by the other kids. <laughs> and of course, you know, well, they're, they're doing it. Why can't I do it? Uh, I want to be what they are. And they, they have friends that they look up to, or at least acquaintances that they want to be like. And it's really difficult when you're competing with, with perfect people on phones or celebrities. Um, you know, everyone wants to be an American Idol. <laughs> and how do we get them to realize that those things will not take care of the the core of who they are and who they want to be um, and so we look everywhere for for help and i I go back to what Neil Anderson years ago uh, put out for us called you know who am I in Christ uh, those things need to be part of my life first because if I'm I'm part of the culture. I, I may be a generation two or three remo- or four <laughs> removed, but I too uh, am influenced and I have to just keep wrestling to the ground um, all these things that bombard me uh, in the media. And we come back to, you know, who's the one who made me? God. Who did he say I am? Uh, uh, what has he made available to me as I try to discover who I am in him and and so you know the idea of I'm accepted and I'm secure and I'm I'm significant. I I mean the average not the average uh, basic mental health care and uh, medical people would say you know there are five basic needs for for all of us. One uh, we need to be loved and we need to love. Uh, we need to know that we're safe, that there's security, uh, that we belong. And I think part of the media part of the phones, whatever it is, that whatever device, they want to belong. They want to be accepted. They want to be recognized. They want to be affirmed. And then the other thing we never talk about anymore, uh, the freedom from guilt, the whole idea of forgiveness. I mean, all of this is goes way beyond what medical experts, mental experts would say, this is God. And the last thing would be they need new experiences. If they get bored, well... And that's part of the danger, I think, don't you, Wayne, that, uh, you know, they they can surf and they can discover and people are waiting for them <laughs> to meet that need. Yeah, yeah. Social media um, uh, tends to let you live vicariously through everybody else yeah. and what they're experiencing. And uh, I got to admit, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I get on social media some. I, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook or that sort of thing. I do have a Facebook account. Um, I'm not asking people to look me up or anything. You're the friend, friend me, as they say, you know, which I always had a real problem with just that whole terminology. Somebody yeah. wants to be my friend. Have you ever you know, been I, unfriended? Have you been unfriended? 
I don't know. I, I haven't really looked to see if, if I have. I'm sure I have, you know, I've, <laughs> but uh, but the whole idea of that just because yeah. I didn't grow up with that. Our kids do grow up with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the terminology and the way we use words and everything is so much oh. different today. But uh, but I have to admit that that what, you know, looking at, at Facebook sometimes you start to feel envious of some people that, you know, because everything seems to be wonderful in their lives and they're accomplishing all kinds of crazy important things and uh always having all these exciting adventures with their kids or grandkids and i'm not doing that and i think what's the matter with me you know you're so inadequate yes (laughs) (laughs) and and it it starts to make you feel a little bit um down you know uh you get a little discouraged i think they call it facebook envy you know when when you're going through all of that but um you know, Henry Nowen, years ago, uh, who's uh, a wonderful uh, writer and uh, on spiritual spirituality, um, uh, taught me something that uh, has always, when, it, when, it, when we think about identity, he's always um, emphasized the fact that you are not what you do. You are not what other mm-hmm. people think about you. Mm-hmm. You are not what you own. You know, these are all things. These were really the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness when the when Satan was good point was uh, confronting him with, uh, you know, throw yourself off the temple so everybody will be impressed. And uh, the, when an angel comes and rescue you, you know, mm-hmm. change those uh, stones into bread and you know use your powers because you are. You have all this power, use it, and so on. It was all about what you own, what you do, what other people think about you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's yeah. not who I am. Instead, uh, it was the it was the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Wow. That, that was all that was in all that he cared about. And in the same way, I have to keep reminding myself when I'm comparing myself mm-hmm. with other people, um, hey, I, that's not who I am. You know, I, I don't need to be recognized by everybody. I don't need to own a lot of stuff. I don't need to be able to do amazing things. I can be content knowing who I am in Christ, that I'm a child of God, that I'm loved by God. You know, it's the things you were talking about. These things can be um, accessed through a relationship with Christ. And I think what we need to do is talk with our kids about this. I think, first of all, and Walt brings this up, that the relationship that we have with our grandkids, I like the way, you know, he just mm. says that that overrides or trumps any influence that uh, social media and these other things impact on our kids. And I, I know that's true. I've, I've seen the research and I've seen it uh, with so many, uh, teenagers that I've worked with, especially over the years, I always tell youth workers that the kids left of their own devices will always gravitate to the oldest person they can find who will take them seriously and treat them with dignity and yeah. respect. And um, and that includes grandparents. If they have uh, a grandfather or a grandmother who adores them um, for who they are, in Christ Mm -hmm. and who they are as part of their family and loves on them and uh, uh, is always there consistent. Cause one thing social media is not is very consistent. Mm 
Mm -hmm. Uh, You get all kinds of mixed messages all the time. But if we can give them a consistent message of we love you, God loves you, you are a child of God, you are precious to me, you are Mm. precious to him. Um, Those are messages that I think we just have to keep telling our our grandkids over and over and over. And that will trump, override. Yeah, and you know, I I was just thinking the difference between virtual and reality, uh, the importance of saying these things to their face close up with proximity in real time is so significant. And I think we've seen the results of this past year with COVID and viruses, and we have longed, and we, we begin to realize how much we need each other. And I've, I've been in situations when we all of a sudden came back together, the weeping, the joy. And in, in fact, um, at the Evangelical Free Church, there was it was almost like a Pentecostal movement. <laughs> we regathered in life to study God's <laughs> Word and fellowship. And um, the media can only go so far in that. We need each other in real time. Yeah, and, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to be able to do that. Uh, as time goes on and bring people together. Um, but hey, this is a, a great talk from, from Walters. A lot yeah. more that we could talk about here, but we're uh, running a little short on time. And uh, I can mention this too, is that Walt's seminar, the entire seminar, we just listened to about 30 minutes of it, but uh, you can download all of Walt's seminar from our website at LegacyCoalition.com. If you just go to the resources page on the main menu and then just click on video audio resources and uh, search for uh, this seminar which is helping your digital grandkids navigate their screens from the 2017 summit conference you'll find it there and walt uh, uh, continues on he talks uh, for example about uh, the the impact of pornography and how accessible it is to a lot of uh, a lot of our kids these days just on that on that little screen uh compared with when we were growing up john it was almost impossible to get your hands on oh yeah more. yeah but uh, today it's readily available to our kids well um those are some of the issues that walt deals with all the time um by the way the uh uh check out walt's ministry at cpyu.org you can sign up for his monthly newsletter which is called Youth Culture Update. And really, it's one of the best ways to stay up on what's impacting uh, your grandkids and uh, what's going on. It's really pretty fascinating, but it's a valuable uh, uh, resource to get. That's at cpyu.org. The 2021 Legacy Grandparenting Summit is coming very soon. This October, speakers and special guests will include Josh Mulvihill, Kevin Harper, John Stone Street, Rob Reno, Reggie Joyner, Kara Powell, Ken Davis, Valerie Bell. And we're going to have music from uh, Fernando Ortega, Scott Wesley Brown, and the Isaacs. All the information is on the LegacyCoalition.com website. You can register now for the conference in Birmingham, <laughs> or you can attend at a simulcast location near you. And it's, uh, those are, we've got like, uh, 50 or more uh, simulcast locations uh, around the country. Right. In fact, I think with the satellites, it's almost close to 100 
um, they can look, go on the website and discover what's the difference between a simulcast and a satellite. But people are getting on board. We're very excited about that. Yeah. And uh, then we've got the Grand Monday Nights, which happens uh, um, if you go to LegacyCoalition.com, you can sign up. Or just go to GrandMondayNights.com, I think. And uh, it's, a, it's a weekly webinar that uh, you can join in on as well. Wayne, can I just add, as we wrap this up, two resources that might help the grandparents that I found very, very helpful, and, and I'm not getting any kickback from any of these authors. Tony Reinecke wrote a book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Um, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Some very practical applications on what we've just talked about. And the other one is the TechWise Family, Tech, W-I-E. W-I-S-E family by Andy Crouch. Really uh, helpful to take it to the next step and get these things, uh, become more aware of how we can help ourselves and then help our grandkids, maybe even our kids. Sounds good. Well, that wraps up uh, Legacy Grandparenting uh, uh, for this this time, the podcast of the Legacy Coalition. So until next time, this is Wayne Rice and John Colomb saying so long. I'm praying that you have a great week of intentional Christian grandparenting.